This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fun Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall and him, Pete George. Uh, well, we're delighted to be able to talk about yet another home win, which is becoming something of a common theme. Um, uh, data will come to it in a bit, but Albion's home record at the moment is nothing short of absolutely phenomenal. And I'll tell you what else is phenomenal. Um, Manscaped's wonderful products um, who uh, kindly support our podcast and they are also offering our listeners 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code up the baggies. So get yourself your products from manscaped.com. Male grooming, below the belt stuff. Pete and I have been uh, sampling the products and big, big fans of them. So get yourself, get yourself them. Um, Pete, if they, if, if they could start doing a bit of a, bit of a line in um, energy products as well, I'd really appreciate that. Cause I have to say, recording this on, on Sunday evening, Pete has kindly interrupted his Sunday evening. Cause we'd normally record about three four o'clock but um it was my 40th birthday this week i did have a rather large night out in in birmingham uh last night so yeah if manscape could cobble together a few a few energy products as well and uh, and box them up and send them to me um that that'd be really appreciated because i i, I ain't feeling my freshest today mate yeah well happy birthday to you and i suppose i'll be in, in one of the um most informed teams in the championship gave you another reason to to celebrate all all a Saturday night, so I mean, I'd lo- I'd love to suggest Pete that I uh, that, that that was the reason that I drank quite as much as uh, as I did. Um, the the suggestion that um, that I would have drank less if we'd lost is probably false. <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, it could have been more, especially if it was a performance like that Birmingham City one. But yeah, you know, true. it's well, yeah. I mean, everything was positive, and I don't think you can get much better than beating. Well, at the minute, one of the best teams in the league, and and fairly comfortably, even mm. though we, you know, they dominated the game in terms of possession. But I'd say we were the most comfortable. 
game state, though, isn't it, Pete? And this is this is always the thing. This is, uh, I mean, look, Pete and I have always said this on on this pod. Yes, we we base this podcast on looking at the numbers, but numbers without context are utterly, utterly meaningless. And you look you look at the numbers, particularly the possession stats and the and the passing statistics, and you think. Borough dominated that game, but that's taking out the context that we blew them away inside the first 10 minutes, Pete. 2-0 up inside 10 minutes, absolutely tremendous. And to be honest as well, particularly in that first half, and to be honest, right at the start of the the, the second half, um, up until the, the Paddy McNair head injury, which I kind of felt disrupted the flow of the game for, for both teams, really, and the game struggled to really get itself back going again, too much after uh, after that but up until that point whilst borough had as many shots as us whilst they had all of the possession were making a lot of the lot of the passes i thought the better opportunities to actually go on and further the lead were albions well yeah you can look at the the numbers behind it and i mean possession was 70 30 in favor of borough if you look at expected threat so given a value to you know, the threat you're passing, moving into dangerous areas. Borough had 3.2 to Albion's 1.5. But then, I mean, obviously goals are the most important. But just before that, you've got to take shots to score goals. And we had the same number of shots. But the difference there being that Albion had 1.85 expected goals and Borough had 1.04. So despite having the same number of shots and Borough having much more threatening passing, um, Albion had the best the best chances. So... I think we're happy to let them have the ball and move the ball around into potentially dangerous areas, but we defended our box well and we, we limited them to, to, you know, not particularly great chances. So yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that you can, you can give up the ball and let the opposition have the ball, but if you don't let them, you know, get into good areas for shots and you protect your box well, then you can still be comfortable and still, well, still going to win the game. Absolutely, and we, we it will come to it because you. To be fair, you've touched on a number of points in uh, across the game there, and we'll come on to talk about them um, in in a moment. Some of Albion's defensive actions, some of the ways in which they they shut the game down. But let's start off with the point that you made at, at the top there, Pete. That we did have as many shots as them. We did have a great deal of threat in the game, and looking at the data, the majority of that threat came from Daryl DK. Five shots in the game. Four on target, two goals. I mean, how he how he didn't get a third when he uh, after he um, uh, obviously had the collision with Paddy McNair, which uh, and, and by the way, we we we, um, we wish our best uh, to Paddy McNair. It did look it looked looked a really nasty injury. Went off the pitch uh, with 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 uh, oxygen on uh, as he was stretched off and. You know, just both Pete and I at this podcast would just, you know, like to wish Paddy McNair a very speedy recovery because whilst football's a competitive game, the, the, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. I'm sure no Albion fan uh, does either. And and yeah, um, he's uh, um, we we really hope he's he's back and on a on a field of play very very soon. But. I mean, how he didn't get his third in that incident where he dances through the defence and then does the hard bit and. Fluffs the, the 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 actual the easiest part, which was just sticking it beyond Stefan into the back of the net. But nonetheless, I thought he was tremendous. He touched the ball a lot more. He touched the ball more than Jed Wallace did actually over the course of the game. And one of my big criticisms of him on his last start for Albion is that he simply didn't get on the ball enough. Well, he was involved in this game. 
probably the confidence from the two early goals helps enormously. But people keep asking the question of Daryl DK. Are we going to see the player that we believe we paid eight million quid for? Have we bought another dud? I saw somebody put out um, the list of Albion players that we've that our most expensive transfers, and had kind of put next to them whether they were successful or unsuccessful, and it was very very small numbers that you would have that we, you would call genuine success. And to be fair to the person, I I apologise for not remembering who tweeted it, but um, but but uh, to be fair to the person who put it out, they kind of put. A, a question mark next to DK, which I think is fair because it is still TBC as to whether he's going to end up being worth the money. But there's no doubt that we bought Daryl DK on sound information that he scored goals for who he played for prior to coming into the baggies and he'd score goals in this division. No, we haven't seen the Daryl DK we thought we'd bought, but then the guy has had two extremely serious injuries and is undoubtedly finding his way back to some sort of fitness and some sort of form. And he's probably finding his way back to a certain degree of confidence as well, Pete. And I think whilst neither of those goals were especially difficult finishes in the end, the first one is put on a plate for him by Jed Wallace. And the second one, he does well to get the original shot away, but Stefan should deal with it better. And then it is a simple matter of, he's done well to follow it up, but it's a simple matter of rolling it into the back of the net from there. But nonetheless, from there, he just seemed to grow, which is a frightening prospect with Daryl DK anyway, because he's already massive. And I just wonder whether maybe, just maybe, is that just what, what, what he, what he needed? Because what I've been seeing in the data, Pete, when he's played is inexplicable to a certain degree in that he should be scoring more goals than he has been. He's been, but he's not been hitting the target when he's had opportunities he has scored goals and uh, and you did you you did his goals per minute ratio which is it was actually surprisingly high but nonetheless he should have scored more than he has but also i felt when he was struggling in games he was struggling to to really put his influence on them to really dominate and push his way into games which a guy of his physical stature should be able to do I thought he did that on Saturday and I hope it's a sign of a sign of things to come because while some people have questioned whether he's worth the money I I I I've always seen a player there I always think I've always thought there's a player there I just think we've got a guy who needs nursing back not just in terms of his physical fitness but his mental fitness as well Yeah well we've spoken before about the impacts of you know a couple of injuries especially in in the legs and the thighs um can have on a player that's well can the mental impact it can have on a player that's um you know their pace and power is such an important part of the game so i think it was always going to take a little while for him to to get back and i think he mentioned it in a podcast earlier this week that i saw um i can't remember who it was with but he mentioned that it you know it does take time to start to trust your body again and be able to throw yourself into challenges and you know get up to full full pace in your sprint so i think that that yeah, he was basically speaking about the issue, the mental issue of it. Um, so, given time and and a few performances, good performances, I'm sure he gets confidence back um, and start to trust his body. I think he was always getting into the right areas to score goals. And you mentioned his tapping for the first one, which I mean, I think he still deserves huge credit for actually getting into that position, timing his run and getting onto the end of it because um, you know it's a very 
it looks like a very easy goal to score. But you got to get there in the first place. No, a lot of strikers wouldn't. Um, and in terms of, you mentioned is a uh, goals per ninety um, ratio, and for non-penalty goals for strikers that have played more than seven seven nineties, he's he's a uh, yeah third place, just behind Ross Stewart and Ali McBurney. So yeah, really promising. His XG's up there as well. I think that's I think that's top actually. Expected goals per ninety. Um, for non-penalty expected goals, that is. So it shows it. what a threat he is, Pete. Uh, because I think part of the frustration with with DK is that you, you you look at things like the XG and you go, okay, he actually is performing well in in goals per ninety, but shouldn't should, shouldn't he be just blowing this division away? Yeah, so I mean, his um, XG per night is not point six seven, so that's effectively scoring two goals every three games. If my maths is right there, I think it is. Um, and his goals, his non-penalty goals per night is 0.59. So he's slightly underperforming, um, for that. And I think when you compare it to his season at, well, his half season at Barnsley, the difference was that he was just massively over, overperforming at Barnsley and just, you know, everything he hit seemed to go in, um, which isn't happening and it probably is, was, was never going to happen long term, but he's still getting into really promising positions and getting shots off there. So. He is still going to score goals at a really good rate compared to other strikers, just maybe not at such an incredible rate as he did at Barnsley. Um, but yeah, he's still he's still one of the most dangerous strikers in the division in terms of goal threat. And it does help when he gets some service as well, because I think some of the some of the criticism of some of our strikers in the last few weeks has been harsh to say the least, because. Genuinely, what can what can you do if you get no service? And we said on the last pod, didn't we, Pete? We, you know, and again, this is not me sitting here and patting us on the back and saying, "Aren't Pete and Chris clever? Um, they, they know more than Carlos Corbran." Blah blah blah. Because we really don't. I wouldn't ever ever suggest uh, to, that for one moment. I think it was blinding, lo- blindingly obvious what he needed to do ahead of this game, which was go back to basics, go back to the team that served him well. Brady Dean Garner in his best position on the left, Jed Wallace in his best position on on the right, John Swift in his uh, in his best position in the ten, Malumbi alongside Jocosla in midfield. We called it. That's exactly what he did. As I say, not patting ourselves on the back because I think it was fairly obvious to anybody that he kind of. I understand why he was trying to rotate the, the the team around in the previous games, but we. We'd been particularly all Brighton, I think, uh, and I'll I'll come on to compliment Al, uh, Al Brighton because I thought he was tremendous when he came on for for Grady Dean Garner, and Grady had a good game as well. But we, so this is not a criticism of all Brighton, but I am there is not a doubt in my mind that we have tried to accommodate Al Brighton in recent weeks at the detriment of an, the rest of the team of of a number of players, and when you switch it back. And get players back into their into their best positions. You see a better performance from from Jed Wallace. Although I thought his position was interesting, um, he was narrower and higher than we've seen him in recent games. He got much closer to to John Swift, and we actually attacked through the middle a lot more than we have done in in recent games. And uh, and was we're, we're actually more of a threat through the middle than we were in the wide areas. But the one that stood out for me 
And um, uh, Rob Gurney mentioned it to to Corbran in the I think his exact words to Carlos in the in the post match were that's the best game I've seen John Swift have for the uh, have have for West Brom. And I also love the way that Corbran dodges those questions and ne- will never ever put like a value uh, on, or or compare a player's performance to a previous performance that he's just like he did what I wanted him to do today good on him sort of thing um so i i i love how how rob perseveres with those kind of questions most weeks post match he did it with Malumbi a, a, a few weeks back as well and and i love uh, I, I love the sort of almost journalistic little tete-a-tete that goes on as as rob tries to get an answer out of corbran and corbran dodges it um or or won't just compare one one performance with another but swift for me was tremendous he four key passes in there. I thought his part in both of the goals. Obviously, he plays the ball through for um, for Wallace to then square it for DK for the first, and then he um, his little link up to get DK away for the second is absolutely brilliant. But also, he's I mean he he's drift he drifts, which is probably why Wallace can can move into that central area because Swift does vacate it. He drifts out uh, out wide. Um, and and offers us a threat out there. He uh, he had fifty percent of his crosses, put six crosses in, which was the most in our team. Half of them were accurate, which is a big big threat as well. And also one of the criticisms that I had of of Wallace in that position, Pete, is that he loses the ball too much. Um, he lost the ball five times against Watford, and he was only in that position for forty five minutes of the game. Swift played that position for. The, the the whole ninety or the, the the entirety of the game which he was uh, which he was on the pitch. I know I know he was taken off later on. He only lost the ball three times. Wallace lost the ball nearly twice as many times, playing half the amount of time in that position against Watford. It's not rocket science to me. John Swift is a ten. He is our best ten, and he has to play in there. And I thought he was absolutely blooming brilliant against Borough. Yeah, he was excellent. I thought thought it was quite interesting actually was. Um, if you look at the players that Jed Wallace passed to, I think there was only only four players that he actually passed the ball to, and those were kind of the players you'd actually you'd expect. Obviously, Furlong, who's playing behind him, Malumbu, who likes to get up to support, um, and John Swift, obviously in the ten, he passed the ball five times each to them, and then twice to Darrell DK as well. So it was kind of. He was involved in the game less in in the in the in the seven than he was in the ten, Pete. Yet just way more effective, wasn't he, Wallace? Yeah, definitely less involved, and yeah, seemed to be more attacking and and um, yeah, more of a threat like that, which is how we saw him at the start of the season as well. But just going back to John Swift, how I mean, how good was he? Yeah, really, really good, and in a similar way, he passed to all all nine outfield starters, other than himself, obviously. Um, so it's kind of more. Involved. I wouldn't put that past him that he can't that he can't do that though, Pete. He's that good on the ball that I think he probably could play a pass to himself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was just excellent. Um, attempted five passes into the box. Six, yeah, five and completed two. Um, got what was basically an assist if DK could finish his first chance. Pre-assist if you want to count them to Wallace down the wing and yeah, was just very threatening and also helped out. You know, picked up the ball in the defensive half a couple of times to help out there as well. Um, and just, yeah, an all-round really good performance. As, as we said before, it's not rocket science. I think with without with Phillips missing, 
I think our first 11 is our best first 11. Well, I, I would say nine of our best first 11 is glaringly obvious, isn't it, Pete? Um, without Palmer and Phillips, because it, it, it's Griffiths in goal. It's the back four as it started. It's Molumbi and Yukoslu in front of them. It's Wallace on the right. It's Swift in the 10. And then the only, the only, I, I, and I do think Grady in the 11 is, is, is our next best. After that, Fair play, there is a question uh, as as to whether DK or Brandon Thomas Asante is our best number nine. I think it's a horses for courses type thing. I think I think you play the player best suited to the particular match. Uh, uh, but the only reason I put a slight question mark over the eleven is not a criticism of Grady. I actually thought he was tremendous. Um, again, and I mean the the one where he beats the the, the Borough player right down on the touchline just before half time is a disgusting bit a bit of skill. And quite why the referee blows because he's obviously pulled back and why the referee blows up for a foul as I think it's Yakoslu is pounding into the penalty area with uh, with with the ball if he just lets the play go um is beyond me but uh, he's, he he has these wonderful moments like that but again I, I keep going back and back and back to it with Grady that's not what impresses me the most about him i thought his work rate defensively and keeping shape was just phenomenal again um it seemed like I've not really seen anything written about Grady coming off. It seemed like an injury to me. He seemed to pull up. I really hope it's not particularly serious, but this is going to pertain to my point. And Albrighton came on on that left and was absolutely brilliant. So that's a real positive that Albrighton showed that he could play out there. Although with a slight caveat that it was a game in which we were already two nil up and if it was a game which we were chasing or trying to get something, get ahead from the start, I would be slightly concerned because he was very right-footed out on that left-hand side. And it was very, very obvious when he got the ball down that line that what he was trying to do was get it, get back inside to get the crossover on his on his right foot. And I, I just worry whether that would be in a game, in a game state where we are trying to score a goal you're always trying to score a goal, but you know what I mean? You need to score a goal. I wonder whether that would be too easily snuffed out, which is why I would definitely start Grady over him on that left-hand side. But I mean, his energy and his work rate and some of the, some of the things he did after he came on to just keep the ball and keep Borough at bay were absolutely fantastic. But the problem for me with us so clearly having a really obviously defined nine starters who pretty much have to start for me as I say the only the only two out of the 11 that I feel could be dropped rotated are Grady and DK and the issue is going to be fitness because how do you keep these players at their peak if because what we've what we've seen in the last two or three games is where he has rotated players in positions where he has changed it around a little bit. There's been a huge drop-off in performance. And where we've gone back to the well with the players that we know are reliable, shock, horror, suddenly the performance level goes straight back up again. And that that's going to be the real challenge for Corbran, isn't it, Pete? Is he knows he's got He's he's got a thin squad. There's you know there's concerns that obviously Grady had to come off early on Saturday. Peter's injury is as yet unknown. He obviously played on with an injury for probably about well it was just before half time he got injured and he didn't come off uh, till pretty late in the second half. So 
chances are, and Corbrand said it was something in uh, around his knee. So the chances are he's aggravated that a little bit. We start, as we've said all season, we start getting two, three injuries in this squad and it decimates us. My concern is how do you balance everything where you know that to get our best performances, you probably need to play nine. You need to start with nine of the starters from Saturday, but equally how over a 13 game run into the end of the season, how do you then manage the fitness situation where you need, you need those players available for as many of those 13 games as, uh, as you can. It's a really tricky balancing act, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously we didn't look as good when we haven't played the 11 that we played against Middlesbrough, for example, the first half against Watford. So it's going to be very difficult to, as you say, keep the energy levels high if we're, reliant on playing the same starting 11 each game. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a case of trying to kill games off as soon as possible and then you can kind of make the changes and and hopefully let the players that aren't in the you know the first starting 11 kind of play the ways play their way into a bit of form from games that we've already kind of killed off so but obviously that relies on getting early goals like we did against Borough and I don't know. And we I need to think... start fast more often because that's that that is another criticism that we've had of this team in recent weeks that we haven't started games fast enough. Yeah, of course. And but I still do think that Corbyn will probably tweak the starting eleven and the tactics depending on who we play because he does seem to to obviously do his homework and and come up with a plan for each team that we play. It's not just a situ- kind of situation of we've got our tactic. This is how we play. We're going to play it every week and. Just hope that that gets us through. It's, it's no, more... but equally, he he changes those tactics with, with with the same personnel. I mean, as as I said, like Jed Wallace played a very different role to what we've seen him play. In, it's still in the seven, but played it very differently on Saturday to what he's played it in the past. He was nowhere near as wide as he normally is. Yeah, again, he he may find a way to to tweak a game to to allow a player to rest or recover if they have got a knock and and hopefully seamlessly bring in um one of the players that that aren't one of the you know the starting players that we've got at the minute so I think I've got more more faith in Corbrand to kind of solve those issues and and keep the squad fresh and and fit than I would if would have done under previous managers I've got to be honest, I think I've got more faith in Corbran to do just about everything than than I would under previous managers, Pete, to be honest. You know, I, I can't say that um, the, the, whilst I, 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 had, I felt that there was some positives to certain things that both uh, Ishmael and and Bruce have done I can't say that there was a that there was a great deal that that I I they didn't inspire a lot of faith in me over the course of the piece. Um one player inspiring a lot of faith in me when we're talking exactly about that. And I just want, cause I want to give a mention to, because it was very, it would be very easy. It was very easy after his first game um, to peg the fact that we dropped points against Blackburn. The only points we've dropped at home in eight games. And we'll come on to that stat in just a moment on Josh Griffiths, because He's he has got to save that 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 free kick from Ben Brereton Diaz. There's no two ways about it. But I think that could really have affected a lot of players. I mean, I thought he made some really 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 top saves against against Watford. We talked about this on Monday night, Pete. That neither you or I put him at fault for any of the goals. I know some people were trying to pin the first one on him. 
Um, I don't, uh, I, we certainly did not. And we, th- we thought actually at points, Griffiths kept us in the game. What I saw on Saturday against Borough was another level up from even that, because what I saw from Griffiths was a truly, truly accomplished goalkeeping display. I mean, he didn't have, he didn't have loads and loads to do, but nonetheless, he did still, he did still have to face 12 attempts at goal. So, you know, quite, uh, quite a lot. I mean, obviously not, not all, not all on target, but the Borough were shooting. It wasn't like the Coventry game where there was, there was absolutely no shots. I mean, he has made for me two unbelievable saves. Obviously you all know one of them that I'm talking about. The one from Isaiah Jones towards the, uh, towards the end is reminiscent of Thomas Kuschak against Wigan, which is one of the, I don't care if it's an Albion player. If it wasn't an Albion player, I'd still be saying this. I think it's one of the saves of the century. And whilst it's not quite as good as that, because, because, um, Roberts was a little bit closer in and central, it is still an unbelievable save the one he makes from Isaiah Jones. But and we were talking about this off air, Pete. The big thing with that is, and where, and where I'm really impressed with Griffiths, because you said to me off air, it's not, it's not an amazing technical save because the, because effectively what you're doing is you are, you're, you're making yourself big and hoping the ball hits you. That's the only thing you can do in that situation. But where it is a brilliant, brilliant bit of goalkeeping is the speed of thought to realize what is happening and start moving across your penalty box and the speed of his feet to get there. And again, I'm not going to sit here and have a go at David Button. We've done that. We've moved on. But these are the things we weren't getting from David Button is the, is the speed of the footwork. And this is where we go all the way back to Blackburn away. And I was saying, I hold him at account for at least one of the two goals. I feel, felt he should have saved at least one of the two goals, not because they're bad efforts, but because I just felt he should have been moving his feet a little bit quicker and getting across uh, get, uh, and, and actually getting down to them a bit faster. I was so pleased to see Griffiths do that. The the other save is the one he makes with his top hand right at the end of the uh, of the first half, which was a brilliant bit of technical goalkeeping. I think any save a goalkeeper makes with their top hand is always impressive. It, it it's so much easier to be diving across at something than it is to be diving across and then make a save upwards like that. Um, I thought it was a brilliant bit of goalkeeping, but the thing that impressed me even more. And when I saw it happen, I thought back to your, your, the conversation we had when after the Birmingham game, we were discussing, should it be Button or Griffiths against Blackburn? And you, you, you brought up the stats on exits, Pete, and coming off the, the, uh, the, the goalkeeper coming off his line and actually taking crosses or dealing, or dealing with balls into his penalty area and how low buttons data is on those how he he never ever comes and deals with those uh, th- those crosses and there was a corner in the first half ryan giles who's obviously an absolutely brilliant player uh, uh, you know it pains me to say because obviously he's a wolves player on loan but his left-footed corners were a menace all day and there was one where obviously the borough players knew exactly what he was going to do and they've loaded the near post and Giles has gone to whip it right in at the near post obviously hoping that somebody 
is going to get a flick at that near post. And as we as we know from our own attacking sense, where Furlong attacks that near post so so brilliantly, when when the first contact is made at that near post, it is near on impossible to defend. So as a goalkeeper, you need to come and deal with that situation before the first contact can be made. And Griffiths came off his line came through about three bodies and just thumped the ball out with his fist for another corner. And I thought, what a brilliant bit of goalkeeping. And that impressed me more than the Isaiah Jones uh, save, impressed me more than the one he made with his top hand, because that's what I want to see from my goalkeeper, Pete. And, and And I thought it was a it was a truly mature performance from a very young man. Yeah, I'm really positive that he managed to bounce back and show confidence after after that um the Blackburn game and conceding from that free kick. Uh and I think it was was it Joe Chapman that did a piece um talking to all of his previous managers and they basically were saying how his um his character is one of his most impressive traits and that he seems to be really well grounded and and doesn't, you know, let the, the lows get him too low or the highs get him too high is, you know, very very Equally, does does it also um does Carlos have to take some of the credit here, Pete, because he came out publicly after that Blackburn game and said, Josh Griffiths is getting a run of games in the team. Does that take the pressure off? Yeah, I'd say it takes the pressure off and, and gives him confidence to know that the manager trusts him and, and public, publicly says so. So, yeah, of course, you've got to, to give credit to, to Carlos for that. And, I mean, he seems to be uh, really, really good with kind of the comments he makes and all the his interviews and everything, he, everything, everything seems to be thought out and planned and, and kind of have the desired, the desired effect. So that's obviously promising. And, and yeah, back to Griffiths, the, you know, those, both the saves you mentioned were, were excellent. Just the, the footwork to get across to that, the chance at the back post and kind of to dive, make the decision to dive early enough that he can get across and cover enough of the goal to then make the save was very promising. Um, He's a big lad as well, isn't he, Pete? Yeah, yeah, really tall. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I suppose that helps when he's coming for the crosses, which we said before he before he got his start is one of his strengths and his traits that he likes to come for crosses and claim them or punch them. But he was also very proactive off his line to sweep off, sweep up balls in behind. And I think I think that was actually how we was it the second. I think it was how the second goal came about was they kind of pumped it forward and he was. About thirty yards out, and I mean, he didn't exactly hit a target with his pass. He kind of just hoofed it along, but I think it fell to DK, and he kind of set it for for Wallace, who then played it to Swift, who played him through, or something like that. But you know, Griffiths was off his line, proactive um, in sweeping up, and and I think it must give the centre backs confidence to know that he is going to be there, and he is confident with his feet. So if a ball gets played in behind them, you know, he can have a fair bit of faith that your keeper is going to be there to to deal with it if he needs to. Can I just say as well, Pete, one thing that um, data-wise, can I just put a plea out here that needs sorting out? Can we can we send somebody round all the football clubs with a tape measure to actually just measure these players? Because, I, I mean, uh, whilst we were talking there, I just thought after mentioning Griffiths' height, I'd have a look to see what he's down as. Transfer marked have him as six foot one. Come off it. I mean, and this is after Connor Townsend's down on uh, on pretty much any website you want to check as five foot six. Can somebody just go around with a blooming tape measure and measure these blokes? Because 
not on your Nelly is Josh Griffiths, six foot one. No, he looks a lot taller than six foot one to me. I, I guess six foot three, six foot four, to be honest, just from looking. But yeah, they can all be a bit off um, in terms of height. So he's not the, I wouldn't say he's the, the biggest in terms of kind of, he's not the broadest or, or the biggest in terms well, of that. He, he has what you would call in boxing reach, doesn't he? Mm. Not Adam Reach. But uh, but but reach. He, he's, he he seems to have extremely long arms. Yeah, and he is. I mean, he's still a a young lad, so I'm not going to fill out a bit in the future. And I'd have thought that can only help him when he is coming for crosses, just to have a bit more weight behind him. But I mean, the reach is obviously important, and the height, and just confidence. I I mean, I'm not a goalkeeper, but I'd imagine that plays a massive part in in coming for crosses to just have that confidence to be able to go through bodies and, and go and claim it instead of being scared and maybe taking a hit on the way through. so It's a lonely uh, place, isn't it, goalkeeper? And, and you know any mistake you make is probably going to end in a goal. I, I think I think the mentality of being a goalkeeper probably almost to a certain degree outweighs the actual... Obviously, you need the skill element of it, but I, I think if you mentally go as a goalkeeper, it doesn't matter how high your ability level is. I just think you play badly. Yeah, and it's, as you say, very lonely and and... Anything you do wrong, you know, you're gonna have gonna have a lot of um you're gonna have the spotlight on you and you know, your errors are gonna be highlighted rather than if a, a centre mid misplaces a pass and it, it ends up doing nothing leading to nothing, then it probably doesn't get highlighted as much. So that confidence is huge and to be fair, it's probably what one of the reasons that Button has had such a poor season is that that confidence is just completely gone from him. I think everyone can see that. And it's it seems to be something that's very difficult to get back for goalkeepers. So hopefully Griffiths can keep playing well, keep that confidence high and and kind of just ride that wave as, as long as possible. And if he does, Pete, I mean, what what options we've got next season? I mean, look, you, you'd have to imagine that the club tried to find a, a way out for David Button because, you know, well, what's the point anymore? His time at West, you can't let him pull the, pull the shirt on again. You just can't, can you? But, I mean, what a fight for the number one shirt that is between Griffiths and Palmer. Palmer, who's been one of the best goalkeepers in the division. But if if Griffiths keeps playing like he is over the next three, four weeks, however long it is before before Palmer's back, you can't just hand the, glo- the shirt and the gloves back to Palmer, can you? I think it'd be very difficult to. Because, um, I mean, we've spoken about it quite a bit, that in terms of experience, they're very similar in terms of the n- number of games they've played. Obviously, Palmer's a few years older, but, um, you know, they played a very similar number of professional games. So it's difficult to just say that, that Palmer's, you know, number one because he's more experienced and when they've equally, well, as long as Griffiths carries on his form, they've equally had as good a start as Albion players as each other. So. Well, also from, uh, from a, from a relationship with your players point of view. No promises were made to either at the start of the season. It's not like you bought the guy and said, you are my number one. Neither of them were num- the number one at the start of the season. So it's it, n- neither have been given that mantle of the number one goalkeeper. No, and I can only imagine it will help. They'll help each other in training because I think there'll just be that, that much competition between the two and they'll just be pushing each other to hopefully even better performances in training and on the pitch for whoever does get to start because they know that if they're not at the, the top, top level of their performances in both training and games and you know, the other one's going to be there waiting to snap up their chance um, if they give them one. Obviously, I mentioned before about the, the home form 
Uh, and it is absolutely phenomenal at the moment. Um, of the eight games that we have played in the league at the Hawthorns since the um, Corbrand's first game in charge against uh, Sheffield United, since that game, we've played eight games at the Hawthorns. We've won seven of them. We've drawn one, so we've lost zero. And we have conceded just one goal. Pete, the way... I mean, just let's focus before we get into the the actual run of results, which in its in and of itself is phenomenal. But the but the, the one goal conceded, and and we shouldn't have conceded that goal. I mean, it's a soft free kick given away, and as we say, the one criticism that you have uh, of Griffiths over the first three games that he's had in the team is he, he's got to save that free kick. So we shouldn't be conceding that anyway. And even then, it's like late, late in the game. The way, generally speaking, we shut games down is phenomenal. We talked about this a few weeks back. We talked about it. Um, uh, Joe and I talked about it when, when you're away after the Coventry game, but we've had this conversation. I know we have after a few of these games where Albion have won with a shutout. When you look at the shots data, I, I, I uh, by the way, if, if you're a bit, if you're a bit geeky like me and you like this sort of thing, have a look. I use who, who scored for a lot of my, for a lot of my data and go on and have a look at an Albion game where we are ahead and we uh, from relatively early on and have a look at they because what what uh, what who scored give you is a timeline of the shots and they so they tell you what minute each shot occurred in and it's such a feature of Carlos Corbran's games with the Albion where we are where we're ahead in games at home where in the last half an hour of games Teams don't have shots. There was 24 attempts on goal in the Albion Borough game on Saturday. Only three of them occurred in the last half an hour of that match. Two for Borough, one for us. The way Corbran tactically and through his organisation of his team and through his changes, Pete, shuts games down. And I realise this is something we've talked about before, but it's, it bears reiterating it's phenomenal. And this this is the sort of levels of organisation and game management we plain and simply did not see under Steve Bruce earlier in the season. It's going to be so crucial going into the kind of the end of the season. And hopefully we'll be up there pushing for the promotion spots. But it's going to be crucial to be able to shut down games like we have been doing. Um and not have kind of the ends of games turn into just, you know, end to end games, basketball basketball matches. Yeah, that, that control is going to be so important to, to just keep the points coming in, um, keep them ticking and, and keep the, well, I mean, also it links back to something that we were talking about earlier is, is keeping the, the squad fresh because if you can get a lead and then you are able to shut down the, the games at the end and just kind of kill them off, really limit chances, um, and shots to, to almost nothing, then you can start to trust players that, haven't started and haven't been in your starting eleven plans to come on and, and and support that shutdown without them having to do you know too much. I mean, obviously, it's a massive skill to be able to do that, and the in-game management is is vital for it. But it gives you a chance to. But whoever give... comes off the bench seems to know exactly what they're doing. Pete, the clarity of message from Corbran seems unbelievable. Yeah, and he's. I mean, he's he's brought quite a number of of staff in for um, coaches and analysts and. Yeah, the detail that they go into, and it seems to be both in-game and pre-game, is just yeah phenomenal. And 
I think that's going to have an absolute. It's going to have a massive impact on on what we see on the pitch when you've got people going to the level of detail that they seem to. Um, so that when you do bring someone on, you can give them the exact instructions of what you want to do, what they can expect when they get on the field, um, kind of the, the areas that they need to be in, or the players they need to shut down, or you know who you need to press, and just it's yeah. I mean, as a player, it's it's probably a dream to have that kind of information ready for you for when you go onto the pitch because you just you can have that exact idea in your head of what what is your responsibility exactly what you need to do and you can just focus on on doing that and know that everyone else or your teammates are going to focus on their jobs and you know if everyone can do that then you can you can shut the game down and, and win the game and a word of credit to the defenders who i mean obviously we're giving a lot of the credit to Corbram for for, for this clarity of message and organization but the players still have to go out and execute those instructions. And I, I said, I said to you um, before we came on air, Pete, that I'd written on my pad because uh, obviously I go through the, the 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 stats as you do before we come on air, and I'd just written on uh, on my pad ridiculous defending data. That that was all I that was all I'd written because normally I I go out and I just pluck um, certain standout statistics, but there wasn't i can't i can't pluck standout statistics from our defending data because it, it, we we clearly had to do a lot of it i mean you you look at dara nine clearances peters four tackles three interceptions four clearances and a block shot and a partridge in a pear tree you know townsend um two tackles one interception four clearances and a block shot Yukoslu, four tackles four interceptions two clearances and a block shot it, it you know the the, the i mean even uh, ajayi was only on the pitch for uh, for sort of 10 minutes given the in, the amount of injury time um maybe about 13 in total he uh, he still got a clearance a tackle in there like the the commitment to doing the dirty side of the game, if you want to look at it like that, the the the, the non sexy part of the game, the just putting yourself on the line and getting the job done, the buy in from the players, you can see that in the way that that they're disciplined in their shape, but also the execution because constantly putting your body on the line, making making challenges, clearing balls. These are not. This is the stuff that is energy sapping, Pete. Because, because, because taking players on, shooting, scoring goals, everybody knows these are the fun sides of the game. But I think we've got a bunch of guys who just uh, it, those that I've just named there. Because Furlong, actually, by the way, I didn't mention Furlong in that, and the reason I didn't mention Furlong, you look at Furlong's average position. I talk about Wallace being a lot narrower. Furlong was actually a lot higher during the game. He was practically a winger for a lot of the time. So actually his defensive data isn't as impressive as the others. But that's largely, that's not a criticism. It wasn't the role he was being asked to do. But when I look at O'Shea, Peters, Townsend, Yukoslu, again, Malumbi's not getting mentioned because again, he was he was a bit higher up the field. He's asked to do a bit of a different role. I think that there's four guys there who first and foremost just love defending. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, Eric Peters, well, they've all impressed me, but Eric Peters has really impressed me this season because I wasn't expecting that much from him and especially not as a centre-back. I thought he was coming in to 
play cover for Townsend um, or competition for Townsend. But he's coming in as a centre back, and you know he's made the position his own. He's not. I don't think he's the best in terms of ball playing. He seems to a lot of the time just look for the pass to O'Shea to let him kind of start the build up. But oh, yeah, the way he defends is is really good. He's good in the air. He reads the game really well. He actually covers space in behind quite well, which is again quite surprising for someone of his his age. Um, and I think Corbran likes to have that left-footed centre back as well because it allows Townsend to to move up the pitch or move inside of the pitch and and still almost have someone playing as a left left back slash left centre back, just kind of in that area with the the natural angles to receive the ball off O'Shea in the centre and then play forward rather than having to. It's just a bit more smooth when you've got a left left foot player there. But yeah, the rest of them really impressive as well. Dara seems to have come on massively under Corbran, and it's definitely someone, as you say, that loves. Do you defending. think he's learning off Peters as well? Um, because some of the, you, you, it's interesting you say about how he defends him behind himself. Some of his timing is incredible. There was one tackle he made in the second half where one hundred percent it would have been a penalty if he hadn't got it right, and it it puts my heart in my mouth when I see an Albion player going to ground in the penalty box. But I trust Peters in those situations. Do you think Dara's becoming a better player because he's watching a real proper defender week in, week out alongside him in Eric Peters? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, Peters is very experienced. At, I don't know how many games he's played in his career, but I'd imagine it's quite a lot and quite a high number in the Premier League as well. So there's plenty of experience there and as you say, he seems to read the game really well and, well, it can only, only help O'Shea, who's he's still a very young defender coming through. Um, you know, he's played quite a quite a number of games for Albion, but in terms of the age of centre-backs, he's, yeah, still still very young. Um, so having someone as experienced as Peters um, next to him is, can only help him. Um, but it's not only his defending that seems to have come on under goal run, he seems to be really confident with the ball at his feet as well. And a lot of the time is kind of our primary ball player from our defenders since Corbrand's come in, you know, with his, his carries out from defence and, and his passes as well. So it's not just the defensive, his defensive side of his game that has improved under Corbrand. It's, it's kind of an all-round improvement. And yeah, it's, it's really promising to see. And hopefully, he's, you know, we can see him playing there for a long time for Alvin because it's always nice to have an academy graduate playing in the starting eleven. Well, got a couple. Got uh, got one in goal and and uh, and another one who's our sec. Uh, who I would say now is our second choice goalkeeper when fit. So fantastic in in both those senses. Also, uh, Pete, just coming back to the original point, seven wins in eight home games, one draw, which took a last minute goal anyway to to rob us of the uh, of the three points. Our home form, uh, one goal conceded in that period of time, which is that goal against Blackburn. Our home form is unbelievable since Corbran came in. Now, some will say the flip side to that is the problem is our away form. I just want to challenge that and question that. Obviously, we have lost the last three away from home. Um, the last four, if you want to include Bristol City, I really, it annoys me bundling in an FA Cup game because I just don't, I don't think the FA Cup has any correlation to your league form whatsoever. I don't think, I don't think mentally, I don't think it impacts players in the same way. I, I, I'm just not counting Bristol City in there personally. It's up to you if you want to. If you want to call it four defeats on the spin away, 
be my guest, but I'm not. I'm calling it three. Now, my question is this, because prior to that, you you were looking at a run of uh, a run of form where we we weren't that bad away from home. You know, we we we'd obviously beaten uh, beaten Luton away. Um, we'd beaten Bristol City away. We lost against Coventry, but then even before that, we'd we, we'd beaten Sunderland, we'd beaten QPR. That's that was our run of uh, run of away games before this run of three games that that we have lost in the in the league. So I question whether there's a problem away from home under Corbran. I personally don't think there is. I think I understand why people are thinking that there is, but I don't think at this moment in time there's a massive problem because I look at the, the early form under Corbran away from home and it's pretty good. You know, I mean, what, uh, what was, uh, what was that one, uh, one defeat in, in four, five uh, away from home. Um, yeah. You, you, you're looking at one, uh, one defeat. Yeah. One defeat in four. So nothing, nothing really there that scares me in a, in any, in any real way. Sorry. One defeat in five, I should say. I just wonder whether recently the form has dropped off a little bit away from home because we've just played some really good teams. We played Burnley and got beat by small margins. We played Watford and got beat by a small margin. And then you've just got the Birmingham game. Now, the Birmingham game for me is just this freak outlier in the middle of a lot of games that can that that you that you can look at the data of and you can say they were small margin games some went for us some went against us and then the birmingham game is just this freak game where we were so second best it was unbelievable and i keep coming back and back to this and th- and thinking it came at the end of a week where corbran was possibly going to leeds he spoken to them with or at least people representing Corbran had spoken to Leeds I just wonder whether there was the same focus I said this at the time I said this a couple a few weeks back when we talked about the Birmingham game I just wonder whether that's a game that you should almost just scratch from the record because it's a week that I hope to God will never will, will not be repeated in the rest of the season. I hope now that he signed his new contract that uh, uh, touch wood while I'm saying this that there's not going to be any question about our manager going between now and the end of the season. I, I and I, I and I look at the other two and I just go, we've just been on the wrong end of a couple of results against very good teams, and then I look at what's coming up. And obviously, yes, we've got Sheffield United away coming up but we've our next away games are Hull Cardiff Sheffield as I mentioned Rotherham they're the next four do Cardiff Hull and Rotherham worry me in terms of the quality that they have in the same way that Burnley and Watford worry me no not in the slightest so Pete you know I'm going to throw it over to you to have your say where people say Albion are brilliant at home but poor away I just think, I don't think that's true. I think we've played two really good sides away from home, come out on the wrong side of it. And the Birmingham game was just, I just think it was, I think it was a week where the focus was on other things and therefore, and and the game became secondary. And when, and when Corbrandt's Albion is based on so much attention to detail where the game 
doesn't become the 100% focus of the week, you lose and you lose badly. And I think that's what happened against Birmingham. And that's that's where I am. I'm not worried about the away form. I will be if we get to the run at the, the end of the run of four games that I've just spoken about and we're still performing badly because we've got to be picking up game points against Cardiff, Hull, Rotherham away. Chef, you, I think we could get points there. But, you know, it's not a not a must get points when you when you're facing the second best team in the division or as far as the league table is concerned anyway. But if we don't pick up points against those other three, I'll be worried. But at the moment, I'm not worried. Are you? I tend to agree with all of that. Is you got to take the the context behind it as well that we have played some very good teams away from home, and those losses have been very fine margins. Um, you know, we spoke about it on previous pods, but the Burnley one, the first goal for them came from losing a header in midfield when our our best header of the ball in midfield was off the pitch. Then they score from a free kick with one of the best free kick takers in the division. I mean, ultimately we lost, but it was very fine margins and it wasn't it wasn't a disgraceful performance. Um, and then Watford, it was a very poor first half, but second half we were we were the better team and, and we lost to some some goals that seemed to just not fall our way. You know, one was a massive deflection, one and then the other two, the ball seemed to just. If you'd been playing perfectly. FIFA and conceded those uh, th- those goals, you'd be you'd be throwing your controller at the TV and shouting that the game is fixed. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's just football sometimes. And as long as the performances are there or thereabouts, it's it's not something to you need to worry about too much. If if the results kind of just fall fall on the wrong side for you, um, I think the focus has to be more on performances. And I don't think they've been half as bad as can be made out just by looking at recent away form. Obviously, Birmingham was a terrible performance and Birmingham were also very good, but Albion's performance wasn't good enough. And, and yeah, but that's, you know, that's a one-off. And Do you think the it, context of the week, because uh, I'm convinced that the context of the week impacted that performance, are you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it plays a part. Um, I mean, and also just the, I'd say the general atmosphere, The I mean, I know it's not a real derby for either side, but... You know, it's kind of like a half derby, a local derby, if you can call it that. I think that plays a part as well. They, you know, they can always just have these strange, strange games that don't go as ex- as expected. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors can go into it, and I do think that Birmingham was very good as well. So it's, yeah, you can't expect a team to be flawless for the whole season. So that was a one-off. Um, a couple of the other ones were against very good teams and. You know, the game was decided on, on fine margins, so I don't think it's a massive cause for concern, especially when the, the future or the next couple of away games are against what you'd expect to be weaker opposition. So yeah, I'm not I'm not shaking at the thought of, of Albion playing away from home. And just to build on that, there was a there was a brilliant tweet from at all Albion fans earlier today, which said we've got thirteen games left until the end of the regular season. I, I like the fact that he's put regular season there, the, the real confidence that there will be at least two more games after the regular season. So we've got 13 games left. Nine are against bottom half sides and three of the other four are at Fortress Hawthorns. We got this is is what the tweet read. So what what we're basically saying, we're saying two things under Corbrand. Categorically at the moment, according to the data, we're brilliant at home and 
we're very, very good against teams in the bottom half of the league. Now, if you take those two things as true, what all Albion fans has, t- has told you there is gives you a lot of reasons to be positive because effectively what we're saying is where you, w- where you would worry is an away game against a top half team. That's what we're saying based on the data that Albion struggle with. We've got one between now and the end of the season and that's Sheffield United away. I do have, I think our running, whilst there's no guarantees in football and obviously teams are going to have a lot to play for between now and the end of the season, particularly given how tight the division is from top to bottom. Pretty much every team is going to have something to play for, at least I would say until we get into April. Nonetheless, I would rather be playing the teams that we have a good record against, i.e. anyone at home and uh, teams in the bottom half of the league. To only have one away game against a team in the top half of the league between now and the end of the season, I think is a real, real big plus to our playoff hopes. Yeah, I mean, our form at the Hawthorns is incredible. So, And yeah, um, the teams that we have to play away aren't, aren't what you'd expect to be brilliant teams. So I think in terms of our, our running, it's it's very promising that we can climb the table. And obviously the result against Middlesbrough was, was massive when you consider the, the other results of that day. I think there was only only two teams in the I think it was two teams in the top half that um didn't pick up a win. So I mean we're still I think we're still sitting in tenth. So, you know, it it doesn't look like we're we're really close to the playoffs, but if we hadn't have won against Middlesbrough we would have been, you know, drifting away and would have had quite a bit of ground to make up. So to keep ourselves in a position where we're we're not far away and we can catch in a couple of games after playing Middlesbrough who are probably the most informed team in the division. Um, is really promising and and hopefully can spark us into to the form that we saw earlier under Corbran and we can make the most of the, the fixtures that we've got both at the Hawthorns both at the Hawthorns and away from the Hawthorns. So yeah, I am definitely hopeful of of a push for the playoffs. Absolutely. And if hopefully that push for the playoffs continues to gather pace and our away form improves away at Hull City on Friday night which will be the next game that we um we, that we talk about um when we record again next weekend so um we'll have we'll leave it there for today um I'll go off and sleep off the remainder of this uh, of this old man hangover that uh, that is continuing to dog me um and just but just a reminder that um we are supported by Manscaped. And if you do want to get your Manscaped products, they are wonderful products. Pete and I can attest um, to the products that we have uh, been sent and tried that they are, that they are really, really good. Um, and, you know, just really, really top end stuff. Um, so 20% off and free worldwide ship, worldwide shipping. You can't say fairer than that with the code up the baggies, one word, all cap letters up the baggies. Um, Go to manscaped.com and get your products from them. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in?
At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.